0: This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your MC, Peter (laughs) Korchnak. If you've listened to even a single episode of this podcast, you know it's a serious one. And so when I was thinking about my end-of-year schedule, I realized I had to get serious about humor. I've told a few jokes on the show here and there, in episodes about the Yugo and the Fica, about emigration from Bosnia, and also in the recent episode about Burek. But this sampling of jokes tells you very little about the state of humor in the former Yugoslavia, what people laughed about and when, and most importantly, why. To answer these questions, I've called on a couple of old friends, Muyo and Haso, and a couple of new ones, Zenit and Marina. And to dig a little deeper, I consulted academic literature, yes, their scholarly discourse about humor, media articles, online joke databases and listicles, and of course Reddit. Before we begin, let me point out that this is the last episode of 2022, at least if you don't count the bonus that will be available only to my Patreon and PayPal supporters who also have access to an extended version of this episode with extra interview footage and even more jokes. It's been a good year for the podcast, 15 episodes, five of which were extended, including this one, 28 awesome guests, and an ever-growing listenership taking us to the top 10% of podcasts on our hosting platform. I've received some great positive feedback and kind notes of gratitude that both got me far-klempt and reinforced my determination to keep the show going. Thank you for listening, for your messages, for your stories, and for your generous contributions. I should also say that when selecting jokes for this episode, I had to leave many more on the table. They were too vulgar, or they required background knowledge of politics or culture that would take too long to explain, or they were built around wordplays or puns that would be even harder to translate. Still, beware of some rough stuff, that's just how Balkan humor is. This has been your trigger warning. With that... (laughs) Doctorates have been made on the backs of socialism-era jokes. I have a friend who wrote his thesis about humor in the Eastern Bloc. Jonathan Waterlow's dissertation at Oxford University about Stalin-era humor is an early version of the very good book It's Only a Joke Comrade. And there's even a history of communism told through jokes called Hammer and Tickle. If this dogged-style pursuit of humor analysis reveals anything, it's that humor in state socialism was indeed no laughing matter. Political jokes were extremely popular in the Soviet Union, as well as the Eastern Bloc, where they allowed people to vent their frustration with the regime and its social and economic outcomes. In this regard, Yugoslavia was no different. First, humor was for the people of Yugoslavia a way of coping with the realities of real existing socialism. Jokes critiquing or expressing dissatisfaction with different facets of socialism proliferated. After World War II, most of the surviving Jews from Yugoslavia moved to Israel. Only Shlomo decided to stay to test the new regime. But he only lasted a year and moved to Israel too. A friend asked him, Shlomo, long time no see, how is it in Yugoslavia? I couldn't complain, Shlomo replies. Why did you move here then? I couldn't complain. An American, a Russian and a Yugoslav doctor meet at a conference and boast about the accomplishments of their medicine. The American says, There was a man who had both legs severed under a train and our surgeons reattached them so expertly, the patient went on to become an Olympic running champion. The Russian says, When a worker had his hands cut off by a machine, our surgeons reattached them so expertly that he became the most productive worker in the whole country. To which the Yugoslav says, That's all excellent, friends, but our surgeons are even better. In the war, a mine tore a partisan into pieces. Our surgeons put him back together, but they couldn't find his brain, so they put a cow pie inside his skull. And look at him, he's now a minister in Belgrade. A set of comparative jokes highlighted the differences between the Yugoslav and developed countries' economies. A delegation of enterprise directors returns from a fact-finding trip in the US, and their workers ask them how things were in America. They are at least 10 years behind us. And how is that? Asked the workers. They still have everything. A delegation returns from a study trip to Japan and tells an assembly of factory workers about a Japanese laborer who was asked why he worked so diligently. I work two hours for me, two hours for my family, and four hours for the progress of Japan. To which a Yugoslav worker raises his hand and says, I also follow the same formula. I work two hours for myself, two hours for my family, and four hours I don't work at all. And why not? The Yugoslav worker replies, who cares about the progress of Japan? There were of course jokes that portrayed Tito as a funny guy. Perhaps they were seeded by the party's propaganda apparatus, or perhaps people invented them to make themselves feel better about their leader. In 1944, Tito visited Vršac and some surrounding villages, because he was interested in how people live and how they get along with their neighbors. We are surviving, comrade, Tito, say the villagers, but those jerks from the next village over are stealing our horses. And what do you do? We're stealing them back. Well then good, Tito says with a smile. It means there is a mutual understanding. Tito was often portrayed smiling or laughing, enjoying a good joke, and watching comedies. There's a famous photo from 1960 of Tito and the Egyptian leader Jamal Abdul Nasser laughing together after a meeting. Tito allegedly had famous actors visiting him tell jokes about himself to gauge the mood across the nation. And there's of course the anecdote where Tito sent Stalin a note advising, stop sending assassins after me or we'll send one of ours and we won't need to send another. Indeed, quite a few jokes circulated around Yugoslavia about Stalin as well. Some of them may be imported from the Soviet Union. Jokes featuring Tito and his right-hand man for the economy, Eduard Kardel, roasted both and went a little further. Tito, his wife Jovanka and Kardel visit the White House. At dinner, Yovanka says to her husband, Joza, Cardel swiped the golden plate. I want one too. To which Tito gets up and says, Friends, before I was a great leader, I was a magician. I'm going to perform a magic trick for you. He takes a golden plate and tucks it under his shirt. Now, friends, asks Tito, where is the plate? Everybody points at his shirt. And he says, wrong, my friends, Cardel has it. Conversely, the big man was himself a butt of a few jokes, though, as Primoz Mlačnik and Petr Stankovic note in a paper about humor in Slovenia, President Tito was rarely targeted in jokes. This exception may relate to the fact that he was considered a capable leader and was also carefully dissociated by the political elite from controversial decisions made during his reign. Before his troops crossed the Neretva River at the famous World War II battle, a partisan says to Tito, Comrade Tito, we only have 10 sandwiches left to eat for all of us. Tito replies, feed them to the wounded. After we cross, we'll go to a restaurant for roasted lamb. After the war, Tito is walking down the street and meets an old woman. Death to fascism, he says, to which she replies, to you too, son, to you too. Tito meets his fellow presidents at a non-aligned movement summit. All of them are worried about worker strikes, but he remains cheerful. So they ask him, Tito, aren't you afraid of striking in your country? And Tito says, not at all, most of my workers are abroad. Every day, a man comes to the newsstand, buys a paper, scans the front page and puts it back. After a few years of this practice, the saleswoman asks him, Excuse me, sir, but why do you do this all these years? And the man explains, You know, I only look at who died. The saleswoman shakes her head and says, Sir, but obituaries are way in the back of the paper. I know that, says the man, But the one I'm waiting for to die will be on the front page. What's important to note here is that as liberal as Yugoslavia may have been on the cultural front, political critique was much less tolerated, especially until the mid-1950s, and that included jokes. Many a Goliotok prisoner ended up there because of a mistimed witz. Tito's death and the ensuing loosening of the public discourse spurred a number of jokes. As a side note, I'll say it's unclear whether these are from the 80s or from any later period. Generally, it's impossible to trace a joke's birthdate except by guesstimation. With political jokes, the only thing we know for sure and by definition is that they are from a period following the event they reference. Likely they were created shortly after, while they were still salient. What do you call Yugoslavia after Tito? Titanic. What's the difference between students and earthworms? Students chant, we are Tito's and earthworms chant, Tito is ours. A man walks across the main square and sees black flags everywhere. He asks the policeman, Why are there black flags everywhere? Tito died, says the cop. The man goes shopping, returns to the square, and again asks the policeman, Why are there black flags everywhere? Tito died. The man goes for a stroll in the park, again returns to the square, and asks the cop, Why are there black flags everywhere? The cop says, I already told you twice, Tito died. And the man replies, I know, I just like hearing it. Aside from political jokes, there was another huge category of jokes in the former Yugoslavia that persists to this day, a category of humor second only to sex jokes. Religion and language were the principal markers of the various ethnic and national identities across the former Yugoslavia. Jokes concerning stereotypes about Yugoslavia's constituent nations was an additional one. In these jokes and anecdotes, Montenegrins were portrayed as lazy and sometimes also uncouth and backward mountain people. Why does a Montenegrin put a full glass and an empty glass on his nightstand, in case he wakes up at night and can't be bothered to decide if he's thirsty or not? How do two Montenegrins wash a car? One holds the sponge and the other drives back and forth. Kosovars are portrayed as thieves. How does an Albanian recipe start? Steal two eggs. But there are also jokes reflecting on Kosovo's status in Yugoslavia. A Kosovar goes to Slovenia for a Yugoslav education. They tell him, you know, Yugoslavia is like a train. Slovenia is the locomotive that pulls all the other republics, which are the wagons. And Kosovo is the brake that slows us all down. The Kosovar returns home and shares what he learned. You know, Yugoslavia is like a train. Slovenia is a locomotive, the other republics are wagons, and without us, everything would go to hell. The Slovenes are misers. A Slovenian farmer saves a goldfish, which grants him three wishes. He says, first, let my first neighbor's cow die. Check. Next, let my other neighbor's cow die also. Check. And third, let my cow die as well. The goldfish says, but why would you want your cow dead? So that my two neighbors won't come to my house asking for milk. And of course, Slovenia is small. Why do Slovenians use only three speeds on their cars? If they use the fourth, they'd be across the border. Why is it forbidden to jump into swimming pools in Slovenia? Because Italians would complain about water splashing. Jokes about Serbs reflect their advantageous political status and later nationalism. A Serb and a Montenegrin find a pile of money in the middle of the forest. The Serb says, let's divide the money in a brotherly fashion. The Montenegrin objects, no, let's split it in half. A Serb comes to the library and asks the librarian, excuse me, where can I find books about greater Serbia? And the librarian says, young man, fairy tales are on the second floor. When it comes to Macedonians, many jokes about them actually come from Bulgaria, which is disputing the mere existence of the Macedonian nation. Why did they want to cut a hundred-year-old tree in Macedonia? Because it had Bulgarian roots. Macedonian train is heading to Skopje. Suddenly, the train leaves the rails, slides down a slope, drives through a river, winds through a forest, climbs up a hill, and finally comes to a halt again on the rails. The conductor asked the engineer, what the heck happened? There was a Bulgarian on the track. They just ran him over. I wanted to, but then he slid down a slope, jumped in the river, fled into the forest, and ran up the hill. But by far, a majority of Yugoslav interethnic jokes are about Bosnians. Some 80% of ethnic jokes at joke sites are about Bosnians, observed the political scientist Srdjan Vucečić in his research into inter-ethnic humor in Yugoslavia. There's a map meme showing what country Europeans allegedly joke about the most. Slovenes, Croats, Serbs and Montenegrins all joke about Bosnians the most. Bosnians target Germans, Macedonians target Greeks. At any rate, in these jokes, Bosnians are most often portrayed as dim. (laughs) What does the Bosnian do after he's finished the School of Economics? He moves the scaffolding to the medical school. I think, therefore I am, says a Bosnian, and poof, he disappears without a trace. Muyo, short for Mustafa, and Haso, Hasan, or Suljo, Suleiman, are frequently the protagonists of these jokes, standing in for all Bosnians, or I should say Bosnian Muslims. Their female counterpart, often Muyo's or Haso's or Sulio's wife, is Fata, Fatima. Muyo gets a digital watch from Fata for his birthday. Fata asks him, What time is it, birthday boy? I have no idea, Muyo says. What's 18 divided by 29? But the portrayal of Bosnians as slow-witted is just the surface, argues Vucicic, whom you may remember from episode 37, "Yugoslaining the World. Quote, As far as regional and ethnic stereotyping goes in the former Yugoslavia, Bosnians are seen as simple, forthright and fun-loving, and as such are taken to be great raconteurs and connoisseurs of jokes. More on this later. Bosnians are also portrayed as sexually adept, if not promiscuous, and as alcoholic. A Montenegrin marries Fata. The first night they go to bed and the Montenegrin says, If a Montenegrin woman were here, she would now take off my clothes. Fata, a little upset, takes off his clothes. The Montenegrin again. If a Montenegrin woman were here, she would now help me get it on. Fata, annoyed, helps him again. The Montenegrin says, If a Montenegrin woman were here, she would now get on top. Fata, completely exasperated, gets up and goes to the door. The Montenegrin says, ''Where are you going, Fata? What do you mean where I'm going? If Muyo were here, he would have already done both me and you and would be now going out looking for more.'' Bosnian television is shooting a documentary for children about village life. The crew visit Muyo at his farm. ''How do you start your day?'' asks the reporter. Muyo responds, Well, when I get up, I drink one shot of rakia. Wait, says the reporter, the program is for children. We want you to say something that's good for them. For example, when I get up, I read a book. Okay, I get it, says Moyo. When I get up, I read a book. Then when I go to work on the farm, I read another one. Then when I get back home, I read two books. A little later, Sulu and I go to the library and there we read five to six books. When the librarian kicks us out before closing time, we go to Haso, he owns a publishing house. Some of the jokes lampoon only one group, some two, and quite a few lampoon three or more, offering a nice comparative look at the different groups. Why did the Montenegrin become so lazy? Because the Bosnian once told him, let me explain. A Slovene, a Bosnian, and a Montenegrin run a 100 meter race. The Slovene wins. Why? The Montenegrin gave up and the Bosnian got lost. Why did the Bosnian go to Slovenia to find work? Why did the Slovenian go to Bosnia to find his dad? Now, if you think that perpetuating negative stereotypes is a bad thing, you would be right. But, it has also been argued, these jokes not only stigmatized the other, they also made them familiar, which in turn helped bring the diverse and disparate peoples together. This kind of humor is, according to one analysis, an important binding factor in the region. Hey, we're laughing at each other, but the point is we're laughing and we're doing so together. Indeed, you could argue that telling these jokes about the other in their presence actually says, hey, I know you, I feel comfortable joking about you, there are stereotype jokes about my people that you tell, we can laugh about it and be friends. So the circle closes, and the jokes bring us all together. Besides, as you can already tell, the stereotypes were quite over the top. The hyperbole would help blunt the edge of the jokes, or whatever truth they contained. I mean, if you hear yet another joke about a lazy Montenegrin, you're going to dismiss that narrative as just that, a funny story. How do they build a highway in Montenegro? They build a kilometer and put up a sign that says and so on and so on. What is the Montenegrin record in a 100 meter sprint? 43 meters. What these jokes also did was reinforce group boundaries. We are joking about them who are like this and they're not us who are like something else and better than them in those regards. As Ivan Markovic wrote in a paper on creation jokes about Bosnians, laughing at another group is an act by which a group nurtures, establishes, and maintains itself. There's a power relationship involved in this practice. Whosoever does the telling of jokes divides the world into in-groups, which are shown to be superior, and out-groups, which are inferior in some way. Moreover, economically or culturally dominant groups joke about the less powerful ones that are either present within them as a minority or located in very close proximity. There's a reason why there are so many jokes in the former Yugoslavia about Bosnians, but not as many about Croats or Slovenes, and none about Slovaks or Belarusians. They were right there and way too similar, so they had to be distinguished somehow, so that we'd also know who we are. By means of ethnic jokes, writes Marković, the dominant group legitimizes and demarcates itself, draws more sharply the boundaries, on the margins of which various ambiguous groups dwell, people that are somewhat lesser version of the dominant group, like an image in a distorting mirror. All the characteristics i talked about earlier portray bosnians as backward provincial rural as opposed to the progressive central urban joke tellers as people who spoke the same language but were also muslims bosniaks were both understandable and the most different and least privileged jokes marginalized this marginalized group thus concludes markovic the ethnic stereotype jokes tell us more about the laughing group than about the one laughed at a joke tells us more about the joker the joke teller than about the target the butt of the joke Additionally, this kind of intergroup humor, writes Vucicic, is essentially about identities. Jokes serve to alleviate some sort of anxiety, a fear of the unknown and uncontrollable. They make both the targets and the sources of jokes more familiar, knowable in some way. Interestingly, it's been observed that Bosnians themselves rarely joke about other nationalities. Rather, they make jokes about and laugh at themselves. Common knowledge has it that Bosnians wrote most of the mujo and haso jokes themselves, similar to what Jews, Newfoundlanders, Scots, and Australians have been said to have done. Telling self-deprecating jokes shows the awareness of imperfection and status. Hey, we're laughing at ourselves, it's all good. Indeed, minorities tend to tell the most jokes, particularly self-deprecating ones. Perhaps it's a way for them to deal with their inferior status within a larger collective or compared to their national significant others, or a way to gain moral victory. We can laugh at our own expense, which says we're above it all and perhaps above other groups in some way. Vucicic claims that these jokes can be seen as stories the Bosnians tell about themselves, but perhaps also to themselves. Their self-mocking style emerges perhaps from a preoccupation with physical and social security, which is discussed in an unthreatening, humorous vein. Finally, even within Bosnians as a group, the butt of these jokes is the villagers are lower-educated classes, suggesting that one, the observation about power relation obtains, and two, that while other groups tell Bosnian jokes to delineate ethnicity, Bosnians tell them to delineate class and regional divides. So why are there so many jokes about Bosnians? Muyo answers, well, the better the horse, the more dust it kicks up. In the country that, on the official level, worked to downplay, if not outright erase, ethnic identities and replace them with a supranational Yugoslav one, as well as with class identities, intergroup jokes were a relatively harmless outlet for discussing ethnicity. The lighthearted, hyperbolic fashion of such discourse then in turn helped avoid any official scrutiny or persecution. As with jokes about socialism, ethnic jokes served as a pressure valve. These jokes persist. They've survived the end of both socialism and Yugoslavia. Given the time and place where the genre originated, perhaps these jokes help keep the disappeared country alive in some way, and the relationship the jokers and jokeys used to have. A team of scientists researching human organs visits the Balkans to get some samples. They first come to Serbia and ask the Serbs, How much for an average Serbian brain? 100 euros, say the Serbs. Too expensive. So the scientists go to Croatia. 200 euros, say the Croats. The scientists protest, but the Croats say, we are now a European nation, we have made a lot of progress compared to those Serbs. So the scientists decide to try their luck in Montenegro. 1,000 euros, say the Montenegrins. But why so much? In Serbia it's 100, in Croatia it's 200. And the Montenegrins say, yeah, but ours are mint, they have never been used. Stereotyping about ethnic groups extended into stereotyping about humorousness in general. The dominant groups, Slovenes and Croats, consider Bosnian humor to be funnier than their own, claim humor researchers Željko Pavić and Natasha krivukapic Krivukapić. I'd speculate that people who don't make themselves too seriously are funnier, capable of joking about themselves, and are then in turn perceived as funnier. Pavić and Krivukapić found that Slovenes are perceived by other nations of the former Yugoslavia as the least funny, closely followed by Croats. Slovenes and Croats are also perceived as the least appreciative of humor. In turn, Croats perceive themselves to be the least funny nation, while Montenegrins and Bosnians consider themselves the funniest. Pavic and Krivukapic also theorize that the Croats' appreciation of Bosnian, Montenegrin, and Serbian humor, in fact, stems from those jokes being darker and more sarcastic and vulgar compared to Croatian humor, which is, quote, less edgy and transgressive and more frequently good-natured and trying to offer a positive outlook on bad things in life. Pavic and Krivokapic traced the highest theme of so-called Bosnian humor among the other Yugoslav nations to a single source. Toplista Nadrealista and the new primitives movement they co-founded. Toplista Nadrealista, which translates to something like the surrealist chart-toppers or hit parade, was a radio and television sketch show running off and on between 1979 and 1992. Toplista first appeared in 1979 as a segment in a program of Radio Sarajevo showcasing new talent from around the city. But it wasn't until May 9th, 1981, that the troupe truly exploded into the local consciousness. They staged a hoax terrorist takeover with the skit listing demands like more young bands and punk music featured on the radio or the resignation of old radio executives. <laughs> Their segments were unscripted, created literally a couple of hours before airing in a cafe near the radio building. They were unrehearsed, they were chaotic, they were raw. They aired on Saturday morning. The guys often brought in random cafe patrons when the regulars couldn't make it due to oversleeping. Yet they took the city by the storm. Kids would tape their program and play it in bars. Many troupe members were also parallelly involved in popular bands, including Zabranjeno Pušenje, Elvis G. Kurtović and his Meteors, and Crvena Jabuka, which gave them additional exposure. Soon, they made a jump to TV, making a debut in April 1984, two months after Zabranjeno Pušenje's first album came out. In the Toplista Lista show, sketches alternated with folk song performances by popular singers. Many sketches were presented as installments. The first season of Toplista nadrealista ran for 11 episodes on TV Sarajevo, and it was broadcast across Yugoslavia. The production mimicked the radio show, unscripted, unrehearsed, to the point of chaotic, amateurish in both direction and acting. Their sketches, though, parodied everything and everybody. Decades later, one of the Toplista core members, Nele Karajlic, said the show had been, quote, the result of a youthful hysteria relying more on raw energy than brains. The very first episode featured a long skit about football training, with players learning how to advance with enthusiasm, how to react to penalties, and at the end they kicked a giant teddy bear around. The Bosnian Romeo and Juliet, Seo and Seada were introduced, each rooting for a different Sarajevo football team. A joke put a stop to Toplista's meteoric rise. At a Zabraneno Pušenje concert in Rijeka in November 1984, the band's frontman, the very same Nele Karajlic, made a comment when a Marshall amplifier broke down and some power went out. He told the crowd, there's no electricity, the Marshall has croaked. Marshall was of course the late President Tito's military rank. A veritable shitshow ensued. The band were interrogated and Karajlic ended up in court for the verbal offense. He got off a couple of years later with a fine. The print media condemned the band, concerts were cancelled, and so was Toplist on Adrealista. It took five years for the show to make a return to Yugoslav television. By then, Karajlic was a star as Zabranino Pusenje's frontman, and another member, Branko Jurić, was building a successful acting career for himself. By 1989, nationalist discourse had taken hold of the land, which on the flip side provided the troupe with a lot of material to work with. The second and third seasons of Toplista were better produced, the themes deeper, the humor more absurd and dark and scathing. This was the period when Toplista and Realista created some of its best-known and most prescient, if not prophetic, sketches. Though in the early days the media were mostly critical, even calling for cancelling the show, Toplista became a countrywide hit. Many lines and words entered the vernacular. In 1990, the troupe even went on tour. In one of my favorite sketches, a linguist highlights the differences between the Bosnian, Herzegovinian, Croatian, Monten, Negrin, and Serbian languages with the word for "to read," which is essentially the same word in all six supposedly separate languages.
1: Ja čitam. To je na srpskom jeziku. Na hrvatskom jeziku se govori potpuno drugačije. Kaže se ja
0: There's a dictionary of the languages translating the same words into the same words.
1: Jedan čaj. Uh, one, one? but me... kazi... ah,
0: And a live interpreter pops up in conversations to repeat verbatim the exact same words the protagonists say and supposedly don't understand because they're from different groups.
1: let detector. National
0: detector. In another sketch, a nationalism detector goes off the charts when it comes close to a man carrying a communist party ID card.
2: <laughs>
0: that very first episode of Toplista Nadrealista also introduced to the audiences Captain Zenit, whom you heard in the previous episode about Burek, as leading an expedition of extraterrestrials seeking the pastry across the vast universe and discovering it in Sarajevo. Burek in Space starred my first guest, Zenit Josic. Zenit Josic was born in 1961 in Bugojno, where he lived through fourth grade when his family moved to Sarajevo. At the second gymnasium high school, he joined a group of youths who later formed the band Zabranjeno Pušenje, where he played drums and later assisted with back vocals, and other now famous Sarajevo bands. You already heard Jozic in episode 63, XU Rock Center, where I spoke to him in his capacity as a co-founder of Zabranjeno Pušenje. Membership in those bands overlapped with Toplista and Realista, where Josic was quite prominent and which features his most commonly known work. Together, these guys spawned a new primitives movement, which foregrounded the local Sarajevo culture and language while using humor as its vehicle. Why do you think it was created in Sarajevo in the 80s and not another republican capital in the country? What makes Sarajevo such a you know good source for that?
2: that is a question for all of us actually we are often thinking about that if we are speaking about top list and realista i think uh, we can speak about uh, seven six uh, people who are important for the whole stuff and also there is a lot of uh, others who go to the this organization, but uh, I think uh, one of the greatest uh, things for the Toplica and is that we came from completely different backgrounds. We have uh, Serbs, uh, Croats, Muslims, and uh, Jewish, and Hare Krishna, and and every every religion in a, in, a, in our group. But on, on the other side, we completely ignore that uh, fact, and we work as a kind of uh, united uh, team. So it was uh, formula for for succeed because uh, we can speak about every subject because every idea goes to these filters of the, all these hats and uh, and the culture. So that uh, brings a real richness of the ideas and the richness of the content of of our jokes Mm -hmm. so that is uh, recognized by the the rest of the world i mean the rest of the ex-yugoslavia and uh, it was uh,
0: something what people really liked josic is on the record saying that the troupe and its program emerged organically out of a group of friends who loved having fun together we have a
2: so mixed population here Mm -hmm and uh, and it really makes us strong to make a joke on ourselves and make jokes of, on others it was really cathartic I, I can say we we, we really speak uh, openly uh, on, on many hard uh, subjects in in that time mm-hmm. and everybody believe what we uh, in in that what we speak mm-hmm. so our major um, I, I can say achievement in our in our group is actually that we uh, speak about the war before the war starts. Actually, a mm-hmm. few years, it is easy to speak about war after the war <laughs> and after the war ended, but but it was important to speak the war before the, it starts. And we in our jokes we try to. Uh, make uh, clear that if we go in that uh, nationalistic uh, uh, lunatics and craziness, that there is a lot of dangerous things could happen to us. Mm -hmm. In 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 our process of creativity, we we always try to imagine the most strange and most uh, 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 paradoxal things. And uh, and that's uh, why some of uh, our jokes are very strange for that time. For example, we uh, present the, the split of Yugoslavia on a, on a TV or first, probably first on the media, actually not probably, definitely first. So in that time, when we split Yugoslavia in a half, two halves, everybody uh, thinks, okay, this is not possible. This is uh, very funny. You know, this is very funny. But it really happens. So, I mean... The reason why we still have an audience and enjoy some kind of popularity is actually that our jokes are really not only about humor, it's also about message, about uh, sending some uh, important uh, ideas about uh, social and philosophical subjects. So all this happens in Sarajevo because uh, there is a mixture of the culture and there was also strong... uh, potential of uh, ideas and uh, inventions and things like that.
0: With the show, Jozic has said in a documentary about Toplista, the troupe countered the stereotypical image of Muyo and Sulo and managed to flip the script around with humor that showed Bosnians as having their own identity that's both funny and smart, even as they mocked the stereotype with their sketches. It was almost a public service that these Bosnians provided the rest of the country. There's a sketch featuring a wall dividing eastern and western Sarajevo, with each side throwing trash at the other while a street sweeper keeps the top of the wall itself clean. It was in this sketch that they predicted Yugoslavia would be divided in November 1985, which of course is when the Dayton peace agreement would be concluded. It was funny because it was absurd. People thought those things could never happen. We laughed until our laughter stopped and everything that once seemed impossible became our reality, one Toplista fan told the Calvert Journal. As Tamara Vojinovich underscored in that publication, the work of Toplista nadrealista is an ode to surrealism, the spirit of irreverence and absurdity making sense of a world that no longer makes sense top list on Adrealista did uh, predict or prophesized a lot of the stuff that happened in the area, in the region, in the country, sometimes in a kind of a almost scary way, you know, like several years before it happened. So uh, that, was, that was kind of amazing. What's also amazing to me that some of the if not a lot of the material, a lot of the jokes, a lot of the sketches work even today. Yes. What makes that comedy timeless, you know, 30, 40 years later? How come something you did as young young men in the 80s or early 90s, it works now still?
2: The reason for that is actually that we want to go deeper in, in uh, some problems. Uh, the, uh, we don't want to stay in, uh, on a surface of problems. We find that actually the line which uh, split it, uh, all these uh, space in a physical and psychological way is actually existing for the long period it is a line between the separation of the eastern uh, eastern countries and western countries even in a religious way uh, there was a line of uh, separation of the eastern church and western church and uh, And uh, when Berlin Wall fell down, we we think, okay, where is the next place where these awful things will happen? And uh, we find that there is a lot of uh, sources and a lot of possible material for that uh, trouble here. So, as I said earlier, I mean, we always try to make uh, the worst combination of things, what's really, what we think that's happened? because it was uh, most funny uh, i mean uh, more abstract uh, more more craziness so it was uh, very strange that um, some of these th- things happens so i think that that's the uh, reason why uh, we still actual now i will give you some example maybe that's the best way when when was uh, the first uh, free <laughs> free uh, elections in uh, bosnia and herzegovina We make uh, some uh, comedy sketch uh, where we predict uh, the results of the next uh, seven or or six uh, future winners of these elections. So we think, uh, knowing very well our people and knowing very well our politicians, that all things will will be very predictable, that they are always very easy fell in the same mistakes. And uh, it, we predicted that uh, one winner will come with a harmonica, that the president of country will come to the presidency with that. Uh, so we have that in the sketches, and
0: a uh, few months
2: ago it happened.
0: Indeed. In 2021, the Bosnian Serb member of the country's three-person co-presidency, Milorad Dodik, brought an accordionist to the presidency building before a session.
2: Maybe our our people or our politicians are predictable. <laughs> it wasn't so hard to see what is our future. Uh, there is a uh, you know you know recent uh, elections in uh, uh, Bosnia a few, uh, few weeks ago, and uh, there was uh, all, all again a lot of pressure on uh, our politician on us on, on a society, and uh, there was a joke which is uh, circling around when one prominent politician come to some far distance village and, and and he says okay I am came here to help you please tell me your two major problem in your village and I will try to solve for you today and they says okay villager says okay our first problem is that we don't have doctor in the village and the politician takes his phone and calls someone make two free calls and he says okay, I fixed it, that. Uh, in the next Monday, you will have uh, doctors in, in your village. Tell me, what is your second biggest problem? And the village says, okay, cell signals uh, has not worked in the village for a uh, for long time. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, this is a typical
0: picture of our, of our society. As they became more and more famous, the surrealists also grew egos and apart. The troops' breakup was, quote, fractious. You could say the troop fell apart like their country. Toplista returned to the radio waves during the siege of Sarajevo, with some 50 segments, and four TV episodes were made as well. By then, some of the original members, including Karajlic and Jurić, had left the city. In 2007, 2012, and 2018, various TV shows purporting to be successors to and reunions of Toplista were made on Bosnian TV featuring Jozic and on Serbian TV featuring Karajlic but they never achieved the success of the original series and yet Josic has told the media that the story of the surrealist is not and will never be finished the comedy still works but at the same time of course uh it is uh, those 30 40 years later is there any chance or any any plans to revive toplist surrealist and make another series uh you know bring it back in some way
2: yeah it is very hard question <laughs> i think honestly, uh, I don't believe in that. It is not possible for the many reasons. You know, it is like a river. The, the one water comes and the other comes. We all have uh, very uh, emotional uh, feelings about the Toplista and Realista because it was a great time and a great uh, time of cooperating and making uh, good uh, uh, things together. Uh, and uh, Honestly, I really would like to make uh, that cooperation again, but uh, I don't know. Could we have uh, that uh, energy, or could we find that uh, understanding between uh, each other, between us? And also, I I don't believe that uh, there uh, there is a planet uh, Uran must be in one position and uh, Saturn in the others, and the Moon <laughs> must be in a <laughs> third position. So. Maybe in the next some next period, maybe something else will will exist. Uh, I hope so that will work, but uh, I don't know.
0: Going back to the show, there are a lot of sketches. Uh, Which one of those is at the top of your list? This is a very American question. What's your favorite (laughs) sketch?
2: (laughs) There is a uh, different favorite things, you know. That there is uh, sketches which which are very funny, and uh, on the other side there is a uh, sketches which is uh, are not uh, funny um, uh, much, but very significant, and uh, you know very important uh, with a really clear and a strong message. We are speaking about hundreds and hundreds of sketches. <laughs>
0: Jozic is known for a number of memorable roles. In addition to Captain Zenit from Burek in Space, he played Fudo, a righteous vigilante well versed in martial arts who protects the citizens of several local Sarajevo neighborhoods from various ills, including smugglers of counterfeit clothing or market vendors charging exorbitant prices. In fact, one of Jozic's nicknames to this day is Fudo. Another set of memorable sketches featuring Jozic involves Hepek, a log with some embedded electronics that has nearly magical powers. Jozic is a villager named Jipalo Yunus, who appears out of nowhere and resolves conflicts with Hepek. If you zap people with the Hepek log, the situation resolves. In another sketch, Hepek helps to pick the new anthem for Yugoslavia. The whole process devolves into a brawl until Yunus hepegs the whole assembly. Oh, Everyone collapses, and when they come to, they all love each other and dance the
2: column. I really appreciated sketches where, where we have war in a one family flats. So. Uh, there was a the sketch which was made uh, before the war start and uh, we make a sketch about one family who was separated the father is and one son is one side and mother is and, uh, and on the other side and they are fighting on a lo- fighting line between the kitchen and and the living room so in that way we try explain that you know the our people that that we are all family and that there is no reason to fight. Uh, but you know, the result, <laughs>
0: it wasn't, uh, enough for uh, our people. <laughs> I've heard to be compared to Monty Python in the UK that a lot of people are familiar with for their absurd, surreal humor. What do you think about that comparison?
2: Yes uh, I'm first of all I'm very honored that someone uh, compare us with uh, uh, Monty Python yes uh, we have a, such a kind of uh, formula for the humor i can describe that formula like uh, insisting on the impossible <laughs> insisting on uh, unusually things or insisting on on a uh, going to the end of, of absurdity Something like that, and uh, it was a uh, lot of a lot of sketches in our in our uh, in our production, which looks like that, for example, we in ex Yugoslava we have a factory for producing nothing so it was very funny when you have some movement of the, some workers where they producing nothing. <laughs> so we insist in that to the end of it's a joke it was uh, connected with uh, in that uh, time the state of socialistic uh, economy and 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 the factories in that time there was a big crisis and huge inflation and uh, in that context you know that uh, factory producing nothing it's really funny but one of the biggest killer of a humorous explanation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, when yes, you I'm... when
2: you must explain some jokes, you completely kill that. I, I ask myself, am I a really funny guy? Actually, because this is it that funny, but doesn't
0: matter. One thing about jokes from that area that uh, the best ones are really connected to what's happening on the ground. They're not just abstract situations or, or related to other things. There's always uh, some sort of a, if not political, but then definitely a social context that, uh, you know, you do best if you understand that to understand the joke or to find the joke funny. So, uh, yeah, you don't have to explain it's I, I, I get it. After the war, Jozic graduated from the Bosnian Academy of Performing Arts and got a master's in TV production in the UK. He works as a television producer. You might think there's not a whole lot to laugh about, but you still find humor in the in the situation.
2: Humor is all, of always uh, uh, with us. <laughs> Actually, we uh, don't have a lot of uh, things uh, to help us. I mean, we don't have a strong industry. We don't have a a mm, lot of money and things like that so usually we have uh, in our lives uh, often in a, in a hard situation so humor is our great help actually to, to survive all these troubles and that's maybe uh, another one answer for your question earlier why we have uh, such a good humor because we're trying to survive so I mean humor is uh, important for us and uh, I hope so that we will uh, have humor, but we will maybe in the future become a boring country, which means that we don't have a, many reason for making a joke, which means that we will have a,
0: finally a good country for a living. Amen, brother. Oh my god. <laughs> Listen to the rest of my conversation with Jozic about Toplista Nadrealista in the extended version of this episode. A bonus episode features the full interview with Jozic about humor and about rock and roll. Go to slash donate and hepec me. Wars in the 1990s, too, spurred joke making around the region. Some jokes perpetuate the long standing stereotypes. Muyo and Hasso are at the front line. Muyo asks Hasso, do you see that guy over there with the cap? Which one? asks Hasso. That guy over there. Which one? Muyo takes the rifle, shoots the man he's talking about and says, do you see him now? That guy that just fell. Yeah, I see him now, says Hasso. That's my brother. But as you'd expect, the war changed the tenor of humor in Bosnia, writes the political scientist Srdjan Vucicic. There are now a lot more jokes about both enemies, Serbs and Croats, and it is Bosnians who come out on top, or at least skewer the other sides. Telling jokes which ridicule non-Bosniaks can be seen as unconscious but popular resistance to dominant and threatening joking practices, concludes Vucecič. A Bosnian, a Croat and a Serb get drunk and arrested in Saudi Arabia. The sultan says, since you didn't know that you can't drink here, I won't punish you much. You will each receive 50 lashes on the back, but you can have one wish, and you, Bosnian, since you're a Muslim, you can have two. The Croat says, before you start flogging me, tie a pillow to my back. After five lashes, the pillow falls off. Seeing this, the Serb says, before you start flogging me, tie two pillows to my back. The pillows fall off after 10 lashes. Finally, the Bosnian says, first, I want 100 lashes, not 50. And my second wish is, double tied the Serb to my back. It shouldn't come as a surprise. In his book about surviving the Auschwitz concentration camp, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl wrote that, quote, humor is a weapon of the soul in the fight for self-preservation. He called using humor as the art of living, which can be practiced even in the most difficult of circumstances, and a way to express criticism and dissatisfaction with the present condition. Everything can be taken away from a man except one thing, wrote Frankl. The ultimate human freedom to choose one's attitude under any circumstances, to choose one's own way, including to joke about it all. Indeed, laughter is an evidence based practice with beneficial mental health effects. Journalists ask Muyo what he thinks about the big cross that the Croats constructed on the Hum Hill above Mostar. Muyo thinks for a second and says, I think it's a big plus for Bosnia and Herzegovina. Fata is walking two meters ahead of Muyo. Hasso sees this and asks Muyo, haven't you read the Koran? There it says a woman must walk behind, not in front of her man. And Muya says, and what does the Koran say about landmines? In fact, during the siege of Sarajevo, some really dark jokes made direct references to Nazi concentration camps. Today, we might consider them tasteless, but at the time they made sense and they helped people survive in some little way. Humor was without a doubt an important survival tool under extreme conditions of the Sarajevo siege and an important means in the defense of citizens of Sarajevo, wrote Nihad Krashevakovic for Al Jazeera. It was nothing less than a realistic indicator that there was still hope. Jokes from Siege Time Sarajevo are indeed a genre unto itself. Muyo is looking for his unit on Mount Trebević and he runs into a Serbian battalion. They ask him, Do you know who we are? Inshallah, you are candid camera. Muyo and Sulio run across a road. A sniper bullet shears off Muyo's ear. But instead of running for cover, Muya returns to the middle of the street looking for something while bullets keep flying. Sulio shouts, ''Run for cover! You have one more ear!'' Muya says, ''I don't care about the ear. I'm looking for the cigarette I had stuck behind it.'' War-related jokes appeared in other parts of the former country. In the middle of the war, people from across the former Yugoslavia gather at Tito's grave in Belgrade and collectively beg him, ''Tito, please come back!'' The voice from the tomb says, ''Guys, I'm not crazy!'' Why do Serbs dislike meteorologists? Because they failed to forecast Operation Storm. After the war, jokes came out of world and regional political developments and again, the harsh everyday realities. On September 14, 2001, a Bosnian clause out of the World Trade Center ruins shakes off the dust and says, what kind of an airport is this? For a while, before Montenegro split from ramp Yugoslavia in 2006, people were calling their soon-to-be former country s and And, referring to Serbia's quote-unquote backwardness and Montenegro's infamous cigarette-smuggling problem, Trinidad and tobacco. If there's a silver lining to the persistent political mess in Bosnia, it's all the jokes that pour out of it, as you heard Jozic point out. An American, a Japanese, and a Bosnian talk about the elections. The American says, in America, we know who won the elections in less than two hours afterward. The Japanese says, that's nothing. In Japan, we know in two minutes. And the Bosnian says, I don't get it. Why does it take so long? In Bosnia, we know it two months before the election. If humor in Yugoslavia was a way of coping with or resisting against the socialist state or life under the Communist Party rule, so it was after Yugoslavia's dissolution. Nowhere more so than in Serbia. In Serbia under Milosevic, jokes were one way for people to deal with the difficult economic and political situation, the sanctions, the authoritarianism, the nationalism, all of that. Slobodan Milosevic with his son and grandson are sunbathing on top of a skyscraper in Belgrade. Because of the sanctions, impoverished Serbs gather outside begging for scraps, Milosevic says to his son. Now I will throw 10 dinars off the roof and you'll see how one person can be happy. And his son replies, but father, why don't you throw two five dinars and make two people happy? To which the grandson adds, but grandpa, if you throw yourself off, you'll make the whole nation happy. Why are there no postage stamps with Milosevic on them? Because people wouldn't know what side to spit on. The NATO campaign against Rump Yugoslavia, which put an end to the Kosovo war, was a particularly rich source of humor. One subgenre mocked the Serbian leader and his relationship with the American one. Bill Clinton is visiting a beach in California and spots Milošević sunbathing. Clinton says, Mr. Milošević, is that really you? What a small world! To which Milošević replies, but it's not the world that's small, it's Serbia that's now this big. Milosevic visits the White House. After dinner, he decides to slip out and explore. After several rooms, he is amazed to discover a room with a golden urinal. He relieves himself and decides he too wants a golden toilet in his mansion. The following year, the Clintons visit Milosevic. Milosevic takes the presidential couple to his bathroom where he shows off a pure gold toilet. Hillary leans over to Bill and whispers, Now we know who pissed in your saxophone. Next, Gallo's humor about the bombing offered ordinary Serbs some solace through the ordeal, a way to defend themselves and perhaps even gain some agency amidst the helplessness. How do most Serbs feel when they wake up in the morning? Mist. What do you call the new fad of taping windows to prevent glass shards from flying during NATO bombing raids? Windows 99. What do Belgrade residents do before crossing the street? They look left, they look right, and they look up. A number of funny postcards commented and capitalized on the situation. I still have one from my trip in 2000, it's just black with the caption, Belgrade at night. There was also one that said, Serbia unplugged. And after Serbia's military downed a stealth fighter, postcards with the remains carried the caption, sorry, we didn't know it was invisible. Here's one from the post milosevic era I could have used in the Burek episode. What's the difference between Burek and Milošević? Burek is better the hotter it gets, Milošević is better the colder he gets. Serbia's leadership continues to be a target of jokes, though they may have declined in quality and wit. If you walk around the streets of Serbia, you're bound to find graffiti labeling the current president, Aleksandar Vucic, gay. Only they're using a derogatory term. A pickpocket stole Vucic's wallet. The judge asks the victim. Did you not feel that someone was touching your behind? And Vucic says, I did, but I thought he had noble intentions. Mass emigration is a problem plaguing the Balkans. How does a smart Serb call a stupid Serb? By phone from abroad. Little Ivica asks his mother, Mom, is it true that Croatia is a country of a thousand islands with the most beautiful coast and sea in the world? It's true, son, answers mom. Little Ivica thinks on it and asks, Mom, and is it true that Croatia can produce food for millions of people on unpolluted fields? Yes, it is, son. And is it true that Croatia has the cleanest and most drinkable water in Europe? It's all true, son, says Ivica's mom. So, mom, what the hell are we doing in Ireland? The biggest turnout in Bosnian elections is at outbound border crossings. Now, the situation is quite the opposite in Slovenia. Primoz Mlačnik and Petr Stanković found that in Slovenia, popular dissatisfaction with the post-socialist state of affairs has found little expression in jokes. The telling of jokes appears much less common than it was during the socialist period, and the few jokes that do circulate rarely target politicians or the new socio-political system. In this respect, developments in Slovenia are similar to those in other former socialist countries, where the practice of telling jokes faded away after transition to neoliberal capitalism and liberal democracy. Political jokes have disappeared, even though the disappointment with capitalism and its outcomes is widespread. Sure, an occasional joke targets an unpopular politician. A teacher asks the students what they need most at their homes. The first pupil says, a computer. Useful, says the teacher. A lawnmower, says another student. Also useful. Janaszek stands up and says, we don't need anything in our home. Think again, says the teacher. Everybody needs something. And Janazek says, no, I'm sure of it. When my sister started dating a Jansha supporter, my father said, well, that's the last thing we need. But, Machnik and Stankovic note, less than 2% of jokes they analyze target politicians. Quote, political jokes are as good as gone in Slovenia. Perhaps that's because people can express their dissatisfaction in protests or at the ballot box. Or perhaps it's because people don't socialize as much as they did during socialism, especially across class and other lines. Or maybe the reason political jokes have disappeared is that there's less of an us, the people versus them, the party or state elites feeling, and less of a difference between propaganda and real life. Socialism was more of a thing in people's lives than capitalism is, let's say. The unelected, or to be more precise, fake elected party and its organs constantly educated the populace about socialism and its benefits with trainings, courses, media propaganda, and so on. When people saw the disconnect between the ideology claiming that socialism was superior to capitalism and the everyday which clearly showed it wasn't, jokes could thrive. By contrast, conclude Mlačnik and Stankovic, capitalism functions without the need for an endless stream of explicit ideological justifications against which reality can be humorously compared. While there are many tensions in capitalist societies, they are not expressed in overly political jokes, as politics in these societies is not as omnipresent as a topic as it was under socialism. What may happen instead is that these tensions and anxieties express themselves in jokes on topics that could be more immediately related to the individual's daily experiences, such as gender relations. Indeed, most jokes in Slovenia nowadays are about men and women and their relationships. Or, and these are my suggestions, perhaps people aren't as dissatisfied with capitalism as they were with socialism. Or perhaps they just don't have as much time as they did under socialism, busy as they are taking care of business, hustling, surviving, shopping, watching TV. When it comes to Croatia, along with Kosovo, the least pro-Yugoslav nation, most jokes I've found fall into three categories. The first group targets Tito and socialism. Children are writing an in-class essay on the topic 45 years of darkness under Tito. Little Perica finishes in a couple of minutes and gets up to leave. Where are you going, Peritza? asks the teacher. I'm done. The teacher opens the notebook and reads what Peritza wrote. Damn it, who turned off the lights? American priests traveling around Yugoslavia visit a mental hospital in Zagreb right at the moment that the patients are chanting Long live Tito, long live Tito. All except one. Why don't you chant with them? asks one pastor. I'm not crazy, I'm an orderly. A woman hangs a cross in her kitchen between pictures of Stalin and Tito. Her friend asks, those don't go together. And the woman says, what do you mean? At the Calvary, Jesus hung between two thieves too. Some jokes target the country's first president, Franjo Tujman. Tujman goes to hell and tells Tito, hello dictator, and Tito responds, hello imitator. Why is Tujman's tomb covered with a headstone that stands at an angle? So that people cannot dance on it. And as you'd expect by now, there are war induced jokes about Serbs. A reporter asks a Zagreb resident, What is chauvinism? The respondent says, When you hate a Serb more than normal. A Serb going on vacation at the Adriatic arrives at the Croatian border. The customs officer, who is a war veteran, switches to English just to mess with him. Name? Miloš Vranic. Age? 33. Occupation? The Serb panics. No, 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 just visit. Going back to those interethnic stereotype jokes, you may recall hearing few jokes about Croats. One big reason is that, rather than Croats, these jokes target people from less developed regions within Croatia, most being about the natives of Zagoria or Dalmatia. Power relations at play again, I guess. All that said, there's a new funny game in the Balkan town.
3: My name is Marina Olisog and I'm a stand-up comedian from Croatia and I'm actually one among five first stand-up comedians in Croatia and I'm the first female stand-up comedian in Croatia and in the Balkans, actually, in the XU region.
0: Stand-up comedy is an American art form originating in the the turn-of-the-20th century minstrel shows. Over the ensuing 100-plus years, it's become not only a very popular form of comedy in the U.S., it has been exported to the rest of the world, including the Balkans. I discovered Orsag on the All Things Croatia podcast where she shares her origin story. Check it out for more of her background as well as that of Croatia's stand-up comedy scene. Long story short, in 2004, Orsag spent some time in the US where she saw stand-up performances that inspired her decision to introduce homegrown stand-up in her home country. When you say a stand-up comedian in Croatia, that's really not something I thought I would ever hear that sentence or that uh, phrase. How does stand-up in Croatia become a thing?
3: It was kind of popular in Croatia, uh, not so much, but uh, uh, some of uh, the comedians like Bill Hicks and uh, Pablo Francisco at that time and George Carlin, a couple of like that.
0: When she returned from the States, Orsaga attended a stand-up comedy workshop in Zagreb with four actors.
3: At that point, it was kind of like... People were waiting for it to happen. It was a good PR at the beginning, and it was like first comedians creating history, you know, blah, blah. The first performance ever was on the 24th of April, 2005. So that was the first uh, stand-up comedy show in Croatia. So that's kind of the year we celebrate. So when we started that, actually, it was a kind of boom. And then it slowed down a bit after two years. And then uh, I started open mic and workshops, and a lot of comedians started rising, and it just kind of went Berserk in Croatia, actually.
0: Orsag has since amassed 17 years of experience over more than 3,500 performances.
3: In 17 years, and two of those years were COVID. (laughs) So in 15 years, actually, we came in Croatia to the point where it's been organized more than 120 shows per month in the entire Croatia. And uh, as you probably know, in ex-Yugoslavia, Croatians are the most humorous people in those stories you always hear. So, for us to start the first and to have the st- strongest scene in the ex Yugoslavia, it's really interesting.
0: I mean, yes, I, I do understand and I, I do know that Croatians are, are funny. I mean, there's that old chestnut uh, that uh, Croatia is not in the Balkans, for example. That's a good one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, Slovenia is not. We are.
0: In a small market like Croatia, stand up comedians focused on smaller gigs and clubs and later expanded to theaters and festivals.
3: We work like little ants, let's say it like that. So, I mean, it's obvious that uh, our scene uh, became what it is today because of that hard work.
0: The Croats knew about stand-up from the media. Orsak and other stand-up comedians often explained, and sometimes still do, to the live audiences what to expect and how to behave.
3: So sometimes uh, I say, please don't uh, laugh inside yourself like Slovenians. And then I show what it looks like laughing in like without the sound, so, uh, something like that, or uh, sometimes I use that uh, how I like to see uh, stand-up comedy is like uh, sexual re- relation. Like we're gonna give 150 percent of ourselves to make them satisfied as the audience, but as in sex, if we don't have uh, uh, voices of uh, directing us and voices of satisfaction, everything is gonna go to kurats.
0: If you understand what that means, great. If not, there's that thing about explanation, killing the joke.
3: As I already said, this word on the microphone, what you need to know is that stand-up comedy has completely democratic uh, way of um, expression. So none of us is going to say what the hell, but we will say what the F. Okay. So we explain to them that we don't have a Tourette syndrome, but we will express ourselves normally like the, the people uh, at their home do.
0: In those 15 slash 17 years, um, you've seen and experienced a lot in terms of uh, building and creating this yeah. kind of thing. So what are some of the positive milestones and, and maybe some tough times, difficult challenges other than COVID, obviously, that kind of shut down everything?
3: Well, we kind of got robbed a couple of times, the club. So that was kind of a hard period to handle because we had to uh, collect uh, money again and had, have big charity events and stuff like that.
0: That would have been Orsak's comedy club, Studio Smecha, Laughter Studio, the first such institution in both Croatia and the region, opened in 2011.
3: When I look back on all the times that I thought at that point were hard, like uh, explaining to the owners of the bars... Why do we need the microphone? Why do we need the light? And we are like the cheapest and the most simple production ever. Just give me one light, one microphone with a speaker and that's it. So all those things uh, of building, uh, handing out flyers ourselves, uh, cleaning toilets in the club uh, when it was necessary and stuff like that, I pretty much thought those were like hard times and stuff like that. Now I realize that those days built me up as a person I am today. So... And those are not so hard times. Like uh, Much harder is losing uh, trust in people you work with. Uh, stuff like that are, were the hardest. You're building a scene and uh, when you have more than 20 comedians and comedians at one place and uh, the ego starts working and stuff like that, those were, I think, the most uh, hard times. The emotional stuff were much harder than the working stuff because... The work stuff drives me. I was creating history. But the milestones in stand-up, having more than uh, uh, 20 comedians in Croatia, which is done, having the first uh, three-day festival, opening a club, the first club at that point in ex-Yugoslavia, which had stand-up comedy every day, and we were full uh, every day, which was amazing. Uh, Then the first... Big, huge event, concert hall Lisinski in Zagreb is 1,800 people. That's one of the things I will never forget. We sold it out in five days without any PR, just on uh, based on a Facebook event, which to us was like extreme shock. And the proof that we are doing an amazing job and actually that stand-up as a, a performing discipline is much, much needed because of state of mind in Croatia. Getting more girls into stand-up comedy, that was also one milestone. Me coming out and uh, uh, starting doing festivals outside of Croatia, performing and winning uh, awards outside of Croatia, that was also one milestone for me personally. Also, of course, uh, bringing foreign comedians to the club and to Croatia to perform, that was also one huge milestone for the, for the scene. And yeah, the cooperation with the, with the guys in ex-Yugoslavia was definitely something.
0: To be honest, I still cringe a little when I see Slovak stand-up. It just seems unnatural, not our thing, so to speak. But stand-up is indeed taking hold across the region. In Serbia, stand-up.rs promotes the form in that country with festivals and other events, which, according to Emerging Europe, has moved stand-up from a marginal pursuit in Belgrade to a phenomenon that is spreading to other cities.
3: There are a lot of different scenes. And uh, I think that the best that we can actually do is try to take the best uh, out of our scenes and uh, try to learn from each other. I mean, we started first and then Slovenians kind of uh, started after us, but their scene is much smaller and they kind of focused on the beginning on uh, uh, Ljubljana and Maribor. Serbian and Slovenian scenes are kind of similar. They're focusing more on bigger, big events and not so much on smaller ones. So in 2009, I believe that uh, Serbia started waking up a little bit. I was uh, sitting down and Googling every single day, is there somebody showing up? So as soon as they showed up, uh, immediately we contacted them and uh, we helped them and we met on the land festival in Maribor, all of us together and agreed how we're going to do the workshops there and start uh, cooperating. And Bosnia and Herzegovina was waking up at the same time. Yeah, we started uh, communicating and uh, started performing uh, on each other's festivals at the beginning and then also in the clubs as well. And uh, we were trying to start a network which uh, is going to help all of us to perform much more because we all speak the language let's say like that I mean in Slovenia for young people now we cannot perform on Croatian Serbian language <laughs> so Anyways when we started cooperating and trying to get as much as gigs uh, for all of us everywhere uh, Slovenians were struggling the most because they had to kind of uh, learn for Croatians and Serbians was the easiest and Bosnians and Herzegovinians because we could perform anywhere in XU and everybody understood us but Slovenians uh, had to and Macedonians had to adjust to to Croatian Serbian language so they had to translate all of their uh, jokes we were extremely excited and for a lot of us for me example that was the first time I actually uh, had an opportunity to visit uh, the entire ex-Yugoslavia. I never been to Serbia before in my life before I started doing stand-up, and in Bosnia and Herzegovina as well, and Macedonia. And So it was actually for a lot of us uh, also as much as uh, we p- loved performing, and it's much as was kind of uh, work. Uh, a relation and uh and like spreading the scene for a lot of us was also cultural educations and shocks and uh stuff like that so in a while we kind of realized through our jokes and through our performances uh i mean we never had any problems but we kind of with sitting later after with people and stuff like that we realized there was still a lot of tensions Between our nations and at that point I understood uh, that uh, laughter is and humor is uh, something that can uh, change consciousness and subconsciousness (laughs) and uh, minds and open up people and stuff like that so we also started uh, uh, really focusing on that between Slovenia and Croatia between Serbia and Croatia and uh, actually in the entire uh, ex-Yugoslavia
0: one of the most successful programs Orsag runs is Kaj a stand-up comedy show where she shares the stage with Aleksandar Perišić from Serbia. The title of the show combines prototypical Zagreb and Belgrade slang words.
3: We, we kind of felt that the biggest tension still is, of course, unfortunately, between Serbia and Croatia. We started uh, joking about it off the stage, in the backstage, and we kind of felt like, oh, come on, this is funny. And then we tried it a little tiny bit on the stage. Uh, when announcing each other or when performing uh, us in uh, Serbia and them in here, trying out how the people will react. And uh, we saw that it's working. And then I thought like, oh, come on, we can for sure do some good with the jokes uh, and with the show that it's going to be full hour and a half, two hours dedicated to that subject. Let's say politically correct. Jokes said in a politically incorrect way, (laughs) let's say it like that. I mean, I joke uh, that we don't take Serbians, that we take them to the vacation to the ocean side just to show them what they could have had if they were better and smarter. And uh, when we go and, and have Serbians on the shore and when we swim and when we have fun on the beach, then when we jump from the pier to the ocean, all the colleagues uh, from Slovenia, Be- Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Serbia, Macedonia, all of us are jumping all sorts of jumps and the colleagues from Serbia do only bomb jumping. The first part of of both of our parts in the show is uh, talking about how it was for us to live in Yugoslavia, how we felt when uh, Yugoslavia fell apart, how we felt afterwards and uh, about relations uh, during the war afterwards uh, and about the condition of the state's countries uh, before and afterwards. We finished the show with the sentence, uh, we hope you realize that it doesn't matter where you're from, uh, what's your uh, uh, nation-wise, uh, religious-wise, sexual-wise, uh, as long as you're human. And you should love each other. So we always finish the show like that. So uh, I thought to myself, yeah, I believe that we can change something. Because I told you at that point, I realized uh, already that the humor can do wonders.
0: Where is the Croatian comedy scene today? What are your plans uh, for it?
3: Well, the scene now is actually, I'm really proud where it is at the moment.
0: Croatian stand-up went from one open mic night in the mid-aughts to the opening of the first club in 2011 to the emergence of a number of lineup groups to over a 100 shows each and every month in Zagreb, Split and other cities, as well as festivals.
3: I am planning uh, to start again one international comedy festival, which is going to uh, include uh, comedians from XU U as well, but not in that big number. Uh, I also plan a XU festival, which... Uh, is always, uh, has a good audience numbers because people really, we miss each other. We love to hear guys from uh, other, other XU countries come and speak and they love to hear us. So I believe that Studio Smiecha is, it's going to go female because now I have more than uh, 10 girls, uh, in a lineup, uh, waiting to start working with them and stuff like that. So I believe I'm going to focus a little bit more on that because it's more than 20 male comedians now at this point and it's only like three or four of us at the moment. And I'm going to focus on all-female international comedy festival in Croatia as well.
0: Orsag also wants to focus on her own career as a stand-up comedian. In terms of what you do, what your jokes are about, uh, are you building on any tradition or are there any giants on whose shoulders you stand in terms of uh, quote unquote Yugoslav comedy or or regional, anyways, Balkan uh, funny people, inspirations or?
3: In stand up, there was nothing before. But uh, influences on me, I think it was uh, more uh, foreign comedians, and the biggest influences was definitely George Carlin and uh, maybe Ellen in the very beginning, before the TV show. And uh, of course, uh, in ex-Yugoslavia, there was uh, Nela Erzishnik who actually was kind of a first stand-up comedian. And I remember watching her when I was uh, little, a lot in those Sunday shows, and she was always uh, roasting uh, Tito and uh, the government.
0: Nela Eržišnik was a Croatian comedy actor in the 1950s and 60s who transitioned to what we now call stand-up on TV and cassette tape. She was best known as Marica Hardolo, a highly calcified cleaning lady in the Zagreb company Jugometla, Jugo Broom.
3: And, of course, uh, there is uh, unforgettable Top Lista, Nadra Lista, which uh, they were actually prophets. A lot of things they uh, had sketches about actually happened later. Okay, guys, thank you. Yeah, so they were amazing as well. And, uh, of course, Večetnja škola, but the early evening school.
0: A Croatian comedy show from the mid-1990s. And,
3: of course, Loče Stodjecu.
0: A comedy show on the Zagreb-only Radio 101. I only had a chance to see one set on YouTube, and obviously there's more out there. But the one that I saw, you know, you're talking about being gay and where you are and being a woman with everything that comes with it. And so I'm wondering, in terms of your material, uh, these are not necessarily themes that are talked about widely in Croatia or across the Balkans, across the former Yugoslavia. So, what's the reception that you see for these topics?
3: When you are performing in a scene as small as Croatia, you don't have the privilege to focus on certain themes because you have to really write new jokes each month. So after a while, you are just like, whatever goes, goes, you know, so you're not kind of picking subjects. But because of that huge amount of material, we can do theme shows. So we have... Ladies' Night, where only girls are performing, and we are talking about menstruation and uh, what what it's like to be a woman and what it, about female things. Let's say it like that. Then we have Sex to Large, which uh, uh, where we talk only about uh, sex and sexual uh, toys and uh, stuff regarding sex in general. Uh, then we have Seven Deadly Sins, where we talk only about religions and what I do like to do on especially on festivals is uh, sometimes throw in some subjects that are taboo in this area in this uh, in the balkans because of the uh, raising awareness and stuff like that and uh, i do 20 minutes of non topic like just random general jokes that people can relate to and various subjects and then I kick ass and then after 20 minutes when they enjoy themselves and when it's amazing atmosphere, then I hit them with the hard subjects. I say that I'm gay and I start talking about that. A couple of months ago, I was in a
1: live library uh, to explain what it is. It's uh, People are books. Like, you are a book, like, but you have to be a minority. So you have to be a gypsy, or a Serbian in Croatia, or something like that, or a gay person. So they called me to be a book that's called The Public Lesbian. (laughs) And you're standing there, people are trying to pick you, to read you, and I was like, does anybody want to go through my pages? old lady she was reading me and listening to me speaking and she was 60 something and she was so cute because at one point she was not homophobic or anything but at one point she really got concerned for me she was so sweet she looked at me and she's like Marina I'm really concerned about you but what, what how as a lesbian are you gonna find a job in Croatia <laughs> And I looked at her and I told her, please come down. Everything's going to be fine. If everything else fails, I can always get a job in post office licking stamps.
3: (laughs) And it's so cool to see on their faces, because they laughed to me for 20 minutes. You know, we had an amazing time together for 20 minutes. So... It's really fun and cool to watch their faces and the reactions. But, I mean, it doesn't happen anymore because now the media uh, raped uh, that subject uh, so much that I don't believe that there isn't anybody in Croatia that doesn't know that I'm uh, gay. And I, uh, I joke that I'm a designated lesbian in Croatia. <laughs> it was fulfilling in the beginning. Like, you know, I'm helping, I'm getting out there and stuff like that. But now it's just kind of exhausting sometimes. I really would like to perform more outside of Croatia and uh, in English.
0: If you are listening and you are a comedy club fan or a comedy club owner, even better, anywhere outside of Croatia, outside of the Balkans, get in touch with Marina and hire her.
3: 80 to 90 minutes is a one-woman show. And if everybody needs anything else, I'm up for it for sure. And I'm going to be producing uh, it myself.
0: I'm gonna sound a little orientalist when I say humor was one of the things that drew me to the former Yugoslavia. If people here, with what they've been through, can joke like this, they must be awesome and I must get to know them. Or perhaps it's not the jokes themselves, but the attitude to life expressed in them. One of my most memorable early Yugo memories is flipping in the middle of the night through channels on my parents' TV and coming across a no-comment segment of Euronews that showed Belgrade during a NATO bombing. Fighter jets were flying overhead, raining down laser-guided missiles, and meanwhile on Brankov Bridge, thousands of people were holding up to the sky banners with illustrated crosshairs. I'm still catching up on and Nadrealista episodes. It's quite incredible, especially with hindsight allowing me to see just how on the nose those guys were. And I'm discovering stand-up across the region, though I'm finding it a bit difficult to get into. I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's that I'm a newish fan of the form to begin with, or the genre indeed doesn't translate, or I don't know, something's missing. Edge, perhaps. I'll get there. The punchline is just around the corner. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. One of the times that I wrote about Yugoslavia, it was actually a dissertation on my mother and her relationship to the country. And that sort of evolved into this work that I do now,
1: the graphic work.
0: Yugoslavia continues to inspire artists, academics, and entrepreneurs. On the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, in fact, the next three episodes, I'll explore a bunch of projects inspired by the disappeared country. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. that's all for this episode of remembering Yugoslavia thank you for listening and laughing with me find additional information and a transcript of this episode at remembering yugoslavia.com podcast there's more of the podcast and extended and bonus episodes available to all generous donors head over to remembering yugoslavia.com donate and have a laugh there Music by Los Cretinos, courtesy of Dejan Bogdanovic. Thank you. Additional music by Petar Alargic, Audio Resout, and Ergo Fismis, licensed under Creative Commons. Special thanks to Primoz mlačnik and Valerie Perry. I am Petar Korhniak. Ciao. <laughs>